Creative Frequency, the voices of creative arts therapists uh, around the globe. Uh, Chris? Yeah, Alex, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you well now. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to, uh, before I start, can I just introduce uh, to, to both of you? Uh, Chris, uh, this is Mincy. Say hi to Mincy. She's joining us this morning. Hi, Mincy. Mincy, can you hi. hear me? Yeah, Mincy, this is Chris. Uh, Mincy is a, is a play therapist in Malaysia. Uh-huh. Uh, Chris is a, well, counsellor, yeah, a supervisor uh, in UK. Uh, I thought I'd just give you a bit <laughs> <Okay>. introduction <laughs> before we, uh, we start broadcasting, is it? Uh, sure. Right. Yeah. Hi, Mincy. Uh, can you hear me okay? Mincy, can you hear us? No. I can't really hear. No, neither can I. Uh, um, is she off I'd now? See, let me check and see whether she's off. No, she, according to this, she's still online. No? Yeah. Yes, I can hear you. Oh, yeah. You got a time delay Very now, Mincy. Scary. Yeah. Oh. No, no, at the present moment you can hear me, yeah. Can you just repeat one, two, three? At the present moment. One, two, three? Yeah, that's, so that's quick, no, it's no time delay. That's, that's okay. I'm just going to start now, yeah? I'm just going to start broadcasting now. Okay, broadcasting now. And start recording now. I'm just checking the on the other computer see it's coming on air now. Could you okay. It's online now and uh could you just ensure there's no rustling if possible because then you can get all the static. Yeah. Okay, good morning uh, listeners. Um, welcome to Creative Frequency. Uh, this morning uh, we have two guests. Hopefully my third guest may decide to join me this morning. Let me introduce you uh, listeners uh, to Chris. Uh, Chris, would you like to say hello? Uh, yes, hello listeners. My name is Chris and I'm uh, a counsellor psychotherapist in London. Yeah. And uh, Mincy, would you like to say hello to our uh, listeners? Hi, everybody. I'm Mincy. I'm a play therapist uh, in Malaysia. And I'm delighted to have you both this morning um, to, to have from different parts uh, of the globe and also uh, working in different disciplines and how appropriate. I was hoping that maybe uh, Jill Jill uh, would join us, so to give another one from an online position. An online position. Uh, I apologize for the static rustling uh, in the background, um, but uh, if we could uh, ensure that we don't move too much on our <laughs> mic or on our headset, then uh, that would help. Uh, but apart from that, uh, the sound seems to be okay, uh, and I'm just let me checking. Ch yeah, and also checking on the other side, and the sound seems to be coming through okay. Okay. Let's let's make a start. This morning was uh, focusing upon you know a loose theme about stories, yeah, and therapeutic stories uh, in particular. I thought it may be a nice start uh, just to get from our listeners what their favorite stories are, their all-time favorite. You know, if you imagine that you can only bring three stories if you ever to reach a position when you are going to lose all memories, you see, of everything, and you can hold on to three stories, yeah. I wonder what stories, yeah, up to now, up, would you hold on dearly to, you see. They say, ah, this is my story, you see. You know, it can be anything, <laughs> anything from from anywhere. 
But if you were to treasure three stories, which three stories would you treasure if you have to have a choice like that? You know, from our childhood to our adult years like. I know what I would like. You know, one of the things I'll treasure is uh, I think the one uh, Monkey Go West, you know, the monkey story. Uh, the one they use for a theme for the Beijing Olympic one. Uh, that That's a good, I always find that as a child, it's all fascinating stories uh, on, on, on that one. And the other one for me will be the Odyssey from the, you know, the, um, was it? Uh, the Odyssey from Ulysses' uh, journey. I always remember that being fascinated when I was in uh, primary school and and our form teacher used to love to tell us all these uh, Greek stories and, and Greek legends and been fascinated by the Odyssey. Uh, the third one uh, I'm debating, you see. At some point it was Star Wars probably. <laughs> uh, uh, and also I'm not sure whether it's Star Wars or whether uh, Lord of the Rings, you see. Uh, but that will be another... Well, if I have to make a choice, uh, I think I'll probably go for Lord of the Rings at this point, you see. Uh, not sure why, but I'll, I'll do that. That That's my three stories. Uh, if I have to hang on to and I get demented and lose everything, <laughs> then at least I'll go to those three stories. What about yourself, Chris? <laughs> um, interesting, actually. Um, Lord of the Rings would certainly be on my list. Um, but the first one that always pops into mind for me is the f is a film. Uh -huh. But it's a great story, and it's uh, the film Zulu with Michael Caine. Oh, yeah, Michael Caine, yeah. But that film, it's just, uh, you know, this, it, it's as a child it fascinated me, and even now I, uh -huh. I just still love it. Um, another one would be um, some some sort of historical story. I love the story of Rome, the the ancient Rome. Um, I'm kind of very attracted to Julius Caesar, uh -huh. um, and a third would probably be. Uh, I think it's a, it's another film. I'm sure it would have been a book once, but it was a film with Rutger Hoyer in it called Blade Runner. Oh yeah, yeah. Wonder. Um, and I think it's just a, it's just an incredible story of. Uh, um, anyway, so those those would be the Harrison first things Ford, that yeah, came to my it, mind. It's Blade Runner with Harrison Ford, is it? Harris Har Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah, he's quite a young actor at that time, but I think. The main story for me was was these replicants that they'd made mm. to uh, you know do the jobs that humans couldn't do, but yeah. they had a, a life expectancy. Yeah, I and remember that. It's, it's, it's a quite a cultish film, uh, Blade Runner. Yeah, film. yeah. Um, may I just ask Minsi? Minsi, have you got uh, uh, yes. the three stories? Yeah. Um, I'm wondering. I think um, the Greek tragedy Oedipus. Mm. It's the one that yeah really impressed me. I remember I was reading it when I was in my university, yeah. and the story is really wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other two. It's a more Greek tragedy, isn't it? Uh, uh, yeah. And what's the other two? Sorry. Uh huh. What was the other two stories that you were going to mention? Sorry. Oh um. I think it's the Japanese film. Um, one is a love letter. That's it's right. kind of a romance. And then another one is um, also by the Japanese director. Um, so I know the Japanese name, but I don't know the English. But he is very famous. That uh, he's very good is in uh, animation. So he all his uh, film is actually animation. This one is a manga, yeah. is it? A manga film, is it? Anime film, is it? Uh, sorry, I can't hear. Uh, manga. Manga is a type of uh, animation, Japanese animation. Um, anime, you know? Yeah, uh, cartoon, yeah, big uh, cartoon. eyes. And, yeah. And what, what's, what's the story? Uh, um, it's uh, about 
a very interesting uh, character which is i mean um, is a makeup character uh-huh. uh, i know the name in chinese but like you can try on me i can i can help one <laughs> because i also got a fascination <laughs> for japanese uh, animation is it Yeah, uh, yeah. How Spirited uh, Away, I remember that's a good yes, one. Yes, yes. Yeah, spirited yeah, yeah. Away, is it? Uh, it's the same, I think it's the same director. Ah, the Spirited Away one. That's, that's, that, uh, that was quite um, uh, popular, uh, mm. that, that film. Uh, it's, it's about, it's that kind of ghost story one, isn't it? The Spirited Away entered into that places where all the ghosts live and then... Is, is that the story? Is it? Uh, it's a child. Yeah, is this it? is another story. Yeah. Okay, but if you if you do remember, then let me know the title. I I I I just kind of wondering whether it's the same story as I was thinking about. But you know, in mm-hmm. in, in given the fact that we all have our favorite stories, see, have you ever asked ourselves? Is it given that all the other listeners, I imagine they must have their own favorite stories too? You see. What makes them our favorite story? I wonder. What is it that appeal that he has? Is it that makes makes it so enduring for us? I mean, uh, I ask myself that question. And and also, is there a distinction between you know uh, male stories and female stories? Is there a gender uh, preferences? Is it? I can't help but thinking about that. Any thoughts? <laughs> um. I uh, I was thinking about that as you were asking the question, and I think these stories have significance for me in the context context of when I first came across them. So uh, Zulu, for example, was a childhood, probably age around five or no, maybe seven or eight, something like that. Um, Blade Runner, there was another. It was another significant time in my life. And um, I forgot what the other story was. <laughs> the other one? Uh, Zulu, Blade Runner, and the other one was oh, things about yeah. Rome. Yeah. So generally, Rome. Any Julius stories Caesar. about Rome? Julius Caesar again. Julius Caesar. That would have been um, probably when I was early uh, grammar school time. I've got a fascination with history, but I guess the the thing for me is that I can lose myself in those stories mm-hmm. and I can play parts and I can it's it's kind of escapist but also this it's fantasy um, there's there's archetypes in there I guess for me heroes and uh, role models um, and they the two films in particular actually give me a physiological effect when I watch them, when things happen. Mm-hmm. I actually have a physiological feel. So this is, there's a physical effect as well as an emotional effect. Um, yeah. And I suppose in many ways they might describe um, my own life. So there's something that I can hook into with them. So on, on one level, it could be something uh, at that developmental point in time uh, mm. that you can identify certain elements you can identify. At the same time, you're also wondering whether it goes beyond that. Um, you know, you mentioned about archetypes. There's something much more uh, eternal. Yeah. Much more, uh, something much more further than just only the personal bit, you see? Sure, yeah. And uh, and I was thinking to myself, you see, is there any differences in the, your choice, you see? Uh, like, for example, I mean, I, I when I think about all the story I've chosen, all my my heroes tend to be male, yeah? Mm. Uh, main character or... <laughs> or or kind of a scene has male anyway. I mean, the monkeys always tend to be male monkey, and they're not a female monkey. And I wonder whether Minsi, whether in thinking about your own story, whether uh, that holds true for you too. Gender. Mm, well, Oedipus is a male. Uh, the main character is male character. 
Uh-huh. I guess that doesn't make much difference because I was fascinated by the, you know, the um how he, uh, he is fate like his fate is already determined, but then he still, you know, go ahead with it, and yeah. So it, well, it yeah. You know, like you're saying that on one level it could be something about our own identification, our own social culture identification uh, at a developmental point in time uh, with the stories or the character of the yeah. stories and gender being one of them. Um, but yeah. if, if it's not uh, the something that is actually uh, transcend gender and we are still, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, what is it that we are hooking to uh, beyond the social culture constraint like gender that has got is such a strong appeal to us in spite uh, of not of it not reflecting our own identification in the social cultural way like gender you see so there must be something uh, about the story that actually transcend uh, social cultural uh, constraint like gender and even like uh, uh, like more the what we call that uh, our environmental milieu factors, you see. Uh, given the fact that we can identify across time, and I suppose across context, you see. Uh, you know, in in terms of cultural stories, this this stories uh, I suppose spend well uh, for me is Eastern stories and also uh, Western stories, you see. Uh, but is, is well, it when I, was a mm. child, I was very much uh, fascinated by the again it's the animation uh, Dolmon from Japan again yeah. the Japan comics because it gave me a imaginative world where you know all the problem can be solved through a character Dolmon from the magical pocket yeah and then you can go to the future or you can go back to your past and everything yeah everything is possible. Yeah, so the uh, transcendence uh, uh, function uh, in in stories or the capacity of the transcendence uh, uh, element in a lot of the imaginative story uh, allows somehow uh, that appeal you see, uh, in meeting the challenges of life. Life also, I suppose, incorporate life in relation to our psychic life, you see. Uh, but I also wonder too, uh, at the same time, if people say the stories are also a means upon which social cultural values yeah, are transmitted. So, so are we too, our attraction to those stories is also constrained by the social cultural exposure uh, that uh, on one level that we are exposed to, you see. So when we think of stories, they are not as simple as that. And so many complications, you see. <laughs> when we think about work and our clients, uh, because there's also the social cultural element uh, that we have to accept that we are uh, culturalized into or socialized into. Uh, that may, may, what do you call that? May facilitate our identification with a, uh, those particular aspect in the story more easily than others is it uh, that's the element and in, in, in accepting there's a universal element but also there's also a social cultural element uh, in it too like um, and in the, in in it also I was trying to, to you know in the stories that uh, that we we mentioned you see and I was trying to say what is it about is was there any particular theme that or pattern that I that make me fascinated in my in my stories, you see. Uh, I always, ever since uh, uh, going into being a therapist, or, uh, I can't help but thinking, hey, what, what is those stories uh, that I revisited again? And I can't help but a lot of my stories tend to be adventure type story, you know, like boy's own story. <laughs> uh, mm. Uh, and uh, and it's true. I mean, when uh, when I think about Monkey Go West, it's an adventure story, or the Ulysses, you know, uh, that mm -hmm. fascinate me. It's, it's also a kind of adventure story, uh, and also the Lord of the Rings, also an adventure story, having to go through uh, adventures. So it's something about adventure story that I'm kind of uh, stuck in, even as an adult too, isn't? It? Uh, 
so those those kind of things that I can't help but thinking whether there's common elements in that uh, for myself like uh, but the individualistic things also come for me you see uh, you know like like being different sort of thing yeah you know and I, I, I've been lately lately fascinated by um, a, a lot of the work uh, you know Joseph Campbell and the monomyth and things like that and I'm starting mm -hmm. to subscribe to quite a lot of that you see uh, in, in helping me frame some of the uh, stories or therapeutic stories uh, or help me understand some of the things that's going on, you see. Uh, that, that's, that's part of the things about uh, the stories for me anyway, uh, in terms of trying to, to understand from my own perspective, not so much from a clinical perspective, but from my own personal perspective. Uh. I think there's something um, quite universal in, in many of these stories and interestingly enough I was talking about Lord of the Rings at a, with some people recently and why would, if we just take the forces of bad if you like, they were trying to destroy the world uh -huh. which is kind of what's happening in a way now with the, the financial crisis and ecology and so on and then you have these innocent hobbits who are kind of powerless over the powers of the gods which is kind of similar to Ulysses in a way um, try, struggling against all adversities to try and save the world and I, and I kind of look at that in terms perhaps of, of you know what's going on in, in our notions of selfhood what part of ourselves is in the shadow if you like and is, is killed off and what part struggles to survive that makes any sense yeah uh, if you were to if you were to take let's say um, the stories you see uh, has a possibly as a ritual you see uh, of life itself you know the rites of passage you see, which is what mon where the monomyth Arrive, arrive from, you see, uh, of separation, initiation, and uh, integration, you see, the return. Mm. So, in that struggle, is always uh, the struggle of the fusion, the split, and the reintegration. You know, when you get the boon and the, uh, the prize, and then you come back again to the ordinary society, you know, uh, just same thing as that idea of that you start in a circle, then you move out and then it return back again to the beginning of the circle. So it's a cyclical thing, you see. So in the way the stories, yeah, the universal if you take Yongyun or which is what Monomyth um, uh, is based upon uh, it's a process of individuation you see. And the individuation is uh, the integration yeah the good, bad, or whatever it is, come from the same source. And it's the realization of that integration, you see, that makes it possible, you see, uh, to return to the starting point with a different understanding, a different perspective, right? back again to the ordinariness of the beginning, you see. And mm -hmm. that is something uh, that I suppose uh, is something that I always use when, when in thinking about clinical work, you see. Uh, because some of the fascination for me, I don't know where is it, was it like for, for your own clinical work, uh, that in understanding that uh, the initial uh, story usually uh, for an adult point of view, you see, I, I think that's a distinction between adult, uh, how adult approach uh, story creation or story making, you see, uh, and uh, children. Uh, with the adult, uh, I noticed that they tend to stay yeah, much more into their ego world, I mean, much more related to the day-to-day -day, uh, issues and things like that. That's, that's a strong kind of uh, resonance to that, you see. Uh, before they can then enter into the imaginative which means the unconscious, the imaginative, that means holds the, the potentiality of that 
unconscious yeah uh, not only personal unconscious but the possibility of the the collective unconscious so it's starting from that point of view whereas the child tend to when they they get into uh, story making or story creation uh, a lot of story uh, is more accessible right from the very start into the fantasy or imaginative uh, uh, element really so even for a child when they are telling the stories I can't help but be fascinated by the archetypal element that tend to present itself very often you see and some profound statements that the child would have got no understanding at all um, but from a outsider point of view you see how did you arrive at something or conclusion like that from the stories that's been created either in the century or either you know in the puppets or whatever you know uh, in the story that contains those kind of universal elements uh, more often and and more what they call that more easily accessible uh, without necessarily the child being conscious about it but uh, the elements are, are there more often you see and I suppose they got a uh, I suppose most most uh, clinician would say that I think given the fact that the child thinking processes is more primary rather than secondary uh, they are much more closer uh, to the unconscious than the adult where the ego has been developed much more stronger and therefore the def uh, the defenses and things like that uh, less less likely to allow that imaginative uh, free access to that imaginative realm uh, that's my thoughts anyway that's my rambling sorry about that <laughs> but I just wonder whether you have any thoughts about uh, applying to your observation in your clinical work with either adults or children or either in, uh, in play therapy or in counseling or in, you know in psychotherapy yeah. mm -hmm. Yes, I mean for children, it is very natural for them to go into the, for example, the magical world. Mm. Like, okay, you open a door and actually the door leads you to another world, the undersea world, and then you have the uh, monster living there. Uh. They, they can go into imagination uh, very spontaneously. And sometimes the solution also just um, appear like that, you know. Mm. It's uh, very different from a story uh, made by an adult with cause mm. and consequences and all that. Mm. Uh, Chris, any, any thoughts on that one in the clients that you work with? Um, I was thinking, I, I don't work with uh, children or young people, so I was thinking about how working with adults um, how reluctant and resistant the adult is to even consider anything chaotic or um, more in the kind of child realm, if you like. Um, I'm not saying I'm kind of generalizing, I suppose, in, in many ways. Um, it's almost like I can feel the resistance in the room. The adult wants to stay adult and, and cannot bear to, to even consider um, looking at what's, you know, the, the broken child inside or the wounded child. Um, and and, uh, and because of that, I wonder, I wonder sorry, somebody got an echo down there. Can I just check, just check. Uh, if you have you your... Have you, uh, uh, yeah, is it is it finished? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's stop now. Okay, thanks. Uh, you know, with the adult, the stories may not come up so much from their permission to to they give them to themselves to enter into the creative process or imaginative process, and the one thing that they can't have control of is when they go into sleep so stories do come but in the dreams that is one state which got no control of is it so dreams will come to them and which is why uh, 
working with the dreams is like working with the stories that the unconscious has offered uh, to the ego, to the consciousness uh, for Adam. So when Freud say dreams been the road to the <coughs> to the unconscious, you see, uh, for Ad that applies to Adam. Uh, but the imaginative process is a dream to the unconscious applies uh, uh, equally to. Uh, to children, which is much more spontaneous, much more natural, and the uh, the distinction between the real and and the passive uh, environment, you see, uh, is not so far apart. They can enter into the passive as if they are real while they are in that time and space, you see. And at the same time, uh, adult, as you mentioned early on, the one thing. Uh, adult loves is the capacity for a story, a book, a film to transport us into that kind of realm, you see, to lose ourselves as you call it, yeah, into that realm. So at the same time, it's like the capacity for that story to bring us into dream time while sitting in the darkness of a cinema, you know, uh, with mm -hmm. the exposure to the sights and sounds and even smells of them now. Uh, to lose ourselves uh, in that moment, you see, into that dreamscape, you see. Uh, just in the same way, when you read a book, and a good book is always said by many that when we can lose ourselves into that story, you see, into that book that we are reading, you see. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so adult uses that structure, but when in a therapy room, when we say, let's, let's play, adult, like you said, Chris, you see. <laughs> They they run a mile away from that, or let's tell, oh, that's childish things, you know, those kind of things. Uh, but if they say, let's take a dream or tell me a book that you have read, yeah, and and that will be might be yeah a way in, you see, uh, into the yeah, potentiality, you see, for story creation. You see. Uh, that that brings us another thing altogether. And, yeah, it's a shame that uh, I haven't uh, got uh, Jill to join me. <laughs> Uh, then we can look. Then the we can look. Alex, can I just ask something? Yeah, yeah please, please. <coughs> um, I'm curious um, to hear what um, yours and uh, is it Missy's views are on something. You said we can lose ourselves. Uh, now, uh, I want who's losing what, and if there must be two kind of. Um, in this phenomenon, there must be two objects, if you like. One person wants to lose, and that you see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So, when we want to lose ourselves, who wants to do the losing? What is it that wants to, and what are we trying to lose? It's the, it's the we always okay. Let's take uh, in all our efforts, human beings are always seek to transcend, yeah, inverted commas, normal time and space. Uh, when we start uh, to engage in activity. That allows us to transcend those normal time and space. We can think about drug taking as one of the most obvious one. Yeah, uh, when you take mm -hmm. drugs, it, uh, uh, it lose time and space. The boundaries come blurrier. You see, but other activities is what I call the aesthetic practices. Is aesthetic practices mm -hmm. is like the shamanism, yeah, yeah? trance, mm -hmm. seons, and things like that that uh, uses uh, techniques to alter our state of consciousness. Is it? Uh, other mm -hmm. ways of altering state of consciousness has been pursued uh, throughout the centuries. You see, uh, more the religious spiritual mm -hmm. element to to help us alter the state of consciousness through somehow through the altered state of consciousness. Uh, it gives us the impression of a transcendent of a, a space and time into another space and time. Uh, upon which either there is a great attraction, which is why we do it, yeah, but also holds something more than the ordinary space and time. I mean, inverted commas, the reality of here and now, but also in terms of en engaging, you see, uh, with that space and time that somehow uh, either uh, feed the soul, inverted commas, or feed the spirit, uh, or contains uh, within it, uh, if you are into into the energetic paradigm, the energy yeah, that one's need in terms of where one's at. Yeah? Uh, so when you're talking about the constellation of the psychic energy, uh, 
through the archetype will will show itself, will manifest itself when we are in that space and time, you see? The exist space and time. So so now this remind me mm. yes um, Go ahead, sorry um, please yeah. Mincy. What this remind me of a state I have gone through before when I had a very uh, vivid dream. Uh-huh. Dream of myself um that I can fly uh-huh. and I really can see it myself flying it above uh the the roof of my bedroom and at that stage I was I think uh, half awake uh-huh. so I opened my eyes and I still feel that yes I'm flying uh-huh. you know it, it, to me it's like that state where I lose the consciousness of well I'm a human being I can't be flying uh-huh. I feel so real that yeah. I just allow myself to stay at that state for a while until I totally uh, wake up I mean gain my conscious yeah. and then at that moment I still think maybe Maybe I can really fly, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think you all can fly. Uh, the capacity for flying is always available in the dream time, you see, in dreamscape. Uh, uh, in a hypnagogic state, in a, if, you're a new, if you're a neuroscientist, <laughs> you say that is uh, where the, the, the thing is sparked off, you see, uh, in the neural pathway that gives you that sense, you see. But in the hypnagogic state, that's the state between, uh, I think, alpha, uh, the alpha state and beta state, you know, when you go into dream state, you see. Just at that mm-hmm. point, you see, I'll give you that. It's also the same one as uh, uh, vivid dreams, you see. Vivid dreams is when you know you're dreaming, so you have you've got consciousness to direct your dreams, you see, in your dream state, you see. Um, many people reported that having that capacity, you see. So, yes, but then the question you ask is that, why is the thing that stands out in my mind is about flying when you can have any other possible things that you can do in that dream state, isn't it? But flying is the most kind of a common and most fascinating, uh, put it that way, uh, expression, you know, the flying dream expression, you see. Flying is somehow mm-hmm. magical, is it? Or uh, yeah. uh, uh, release you from the constraint <laughs> of the reality that we are very abounded people, you see. Because uh, if you are fascinating, you can be anything. I mean, flying is just only one of them. But So what is that element of flying, you see, uh, that makes it stands out more than anything else, you see? Uh, I suppose that's the kind of things that stick to my mind, mm-hmm. you see. Uh, and, well, and, uh, I remember the emotional state on that time was uh, very, very relaxed because uh-huh. my body was very, very light uh-huh. and it's just like floating. I even remember, first I, I just very relaxed and then I start to float uh-huh. and therefore my body start to fly higher and higher. Yeah. And uh, the, this feeling you see uh, mm-hmm. is it an expression you see about the transcendence you see mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the transcendence feeling the capacity to fly you see uh, mm-hmm. uh, is about the transcendent of the limitation that grounds us onto the earth you see so I wonder whether uh, those those sensation you see gives us the feeling mm-hmm. of transcendence you see just like when you're taking uh, drugs of people or experience not to say you are but I'm, people report yeah. <laughs> taking drugs you see uh, flying is quite a common experience the the mm-hmm. problem is that they act it out and they jump through the window and before you know it and they'll be really flying <laughs> you know and that's the danger you see uh, and also, if you if you look into a lot of the uh, practices, aesthetic practices, flying is a very uh, strong element. If you look at shamanic or you know practices, identification with uh, a flying animal, the eagle and things like that, uh, in as part of the repertoire, you see, uh, of the magical powers that a shaman has, yeah, when they go into yeah. that altered state, uh, flying is also a, a, a important. Uh, bit of it, you see, uh, and and also you see uh, other elements too in fantasy. Uh, flying is always 
it's got a part in it and that's presented yeah, yeah. by the dragons and things like that the flies see, in the sky see. Mm. Uh. Yeah. sorry I, I missed the point Chris I mean I, I veer off sorry my, my apologies you were you were you were making a point down there and you were God, what's the point you were making sorry uh, could, could you remind me again Chris my apologies yeah, sorry, I'm just um, coughing. <coughs> um, my point <coughs> is that, uh, excuse me, um, bless you. Yeah, my point would be um, it's one of these things we say, we say, I want to lose myself. And I'm just interested um, in what that actually means because it's almost like I want to get rid of me. Uh -huh. And then what am I left with? Yeah. So it's almost like I want to, I, you know, in a film or a book, uh, I'm not dragging around this me, if you like, which is an object. And that's, that's just what I was okay, wondering. Okay, I'll come back again to that one. Yeah, my thank, thanks ever so much for reminding me. I think the losing yourself is, I think, is captured by, I don't know, who to attribute to. In order to find yourself, you got to lose yourself. In order to lose yourself, then you find yourself. And once you find yourself, and back again is when you can then truly lose yourself. Because there's no self to be had in the first instant. Something like that, you see. So I wonder whether the uh, therapeutic journey, you see, or the uh, self-actualizing uh, processes or the individuation, uh, the first half, you see, in in a lot of Western psychology, is to find the self, whatever the self is, you see. And to find the self is to lose the self. That means lose the the construction of the self, the ego construction of self, which is uh, very much the persona, yeah, or the mass, as some people call it, or the outer self, as some uh, humanists call it. So the losing of the self is basically the losing of the outer persona, the ego, so that the true self can be found, as many people use it, or, or not a, a true self without the implication of the uh, imposition of the conditions of worth that define the ego, that define the, you know, uh, the ideal self and things like that. So, so the self then. Uh, it's more spontaneous. Uh, there's a sense of connection in terms of the spontaneity of what you do is a as a representation of that self, rather than what you do is in the hope of what you think your image, your ego image of that self is an ego image that is 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 uh, what you call that uh, carved out of conditions of worth, uh, 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 propaganda. Uh, socialization, culturalization that limits you within that kind of uh, uh, frame or script or or role, you see. Uh, now the other side of the psychology says that, okay, now you found inverted commas, if your true self, even that also need to be lost, you see. So in more, I suppose more the inclination towards the idea of a no-self or, or the idea of a, a Natman, you see, or, or Shunyata, you see, it's about uh, that's also an illusion, even the idea of a, a true self, yeah, and also an illusion. Now if you reach that point, that part has also got uh, to be lost, you see. <laughs> then if you're a starting point, you see, it's then it's, there's no self, then everything is possible. And that's where the potentiality uh, of everything is possible because your starting point is that you got you got that emptiness, and and that is also in a lot of the myths and stories. You see, uh, and if you look at the creation myth and you look at the cosmological uh, stories and legends, the starting point is always the void. You see, uh, the emptiness. It's only through the through through that can form be can form arises form come arises without the emptiness because uh without that without that 
origination, you see. Uh, and if you look at all the stories, you see, then this is where the cosmic egg start beginning, the Big Bang. Because at the present moment, they're looking at that uh, in uh, Switzerland. And anyway, on the hard physical quantum science, you know, in the Hadron Project. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of scary in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Having read lots of science fiction books, it's the sort of thing that happens and then the world disappears. uh... (laughs) Well, that that takes us to where we are at in our inverted commas uh, 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 thinking, scientific thinking, you see, which is also starting to accept that uh, elements come up from emptiness, you see. Uh, So... So that's, that's the formation, you see, of the Big Bang, you see. And there never has been a beginning, never has been an end, you see. Uh, and that's a really fascinating thing to take, a, take on board, particularly in, in psychotherapy and psychology, you see. Which is why now there's quite a lot of people who con- consider some quantum uh, psychotherapists, you see, or quantum psychology. You, you can see this terminology rebanded quite a bit now. Uh, but that that's a fascinating bit, you see, where where those kind of disciplines started to to meet, you see, uh, mm-hmm. where those kind of discipline uh, uh, started to draw upon each other from ancient to the most uh, modern to you know, so there's something much more universal than than what we first uh, first impression that we get, you see. There's something more 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 to it. And I can mm-hmm. I can never stop be fascinated by it, especially from <laughs> so from the work that children kind of uh, present particularly. Uh, sorry, but uh, Minsi wanted to say something. I noticed mm-hmm. one Well, I'm just thinking. Yeah, some of the issues like the human existence, why I'm here, why I'm doing the job that I'm doing, all these um, the general issue faced by human beings. Uh-huh. I guess um, when it is presented in a story form and in a way that it can appeal, then it, um, yeah, this is what uh, make people um, fascinate about it. Uh-huh. I think this, uh, the, the stories can be everything. I tend to take stories. I use the, the framework of stories uh, for any narratives, you see. Um, so, which means that when a narrative is been used, when somebody say, okay, I went the other day, and I think that has a narrative uh, to represent a story. So, from that story, I say, that has a dream to represent a dream. So, it allows me then to say, if this was my dream, yeah, from what the person I just said, this is my dream, yeah. And I imagine myself having the dream as described by that person in choosing the element, the words uh, that mm-hmm. the person used, yeah, to describe that narrative. Mm-hmm. I find myself then being able to access, yeah, the the mm-hmm. many layers uh, of that narrative, the condensation. Yeah. So I go into a process of what we considered uh, amplifying yeah and mm-hmm. uh, active imagination by taking on board the narrative the the client's narrative has my dream that I had last night just as a recent dream and then in an attempt to understand that dream then I apply the principles of amplification and active imagination and I take those elements and I like and I allow it to take a life of its own, and uh, that gives me uh, the potentiality to access in understanding what the narrative has been communicated from the client unconscious, yeah, and the client collective unconscious as well, and that gives me a richer source. Or mm-hmm. my attempt to understand what may be going on, or uh, to be able to empathize uh, from where the client is coming from. So for me, that has been helpful in my in my practice or in my clinical work. 
and that's not just only yeah in terms of oral narratives but also textual narrative it's because you know when i work in online when somebody write an email i take mm -hmm. this say this email uh, the narrative and i think it has a dream that i had so the contents within that becomes a in, into a dream that i experience then i take that to deconstruct it by using amplification and active imagination uh, in my attempt to understand what the client is trying to communicate then get that gets me into the different levels you see of that uh, mm. communications you see. Because uh, it's no coincidence if the person choose to use a text or a word, yeah, that word mm -hmm. come partly not from just only the consciousness in making a choice of that word, but also from the unconscious, yeah, because that word can be only one word, but of all the of all the thousand and one word, why choose that word in juxtapose in that in that position in that manner before particular. Uh, so, so in that way, I also take on board. You see that every conscious uh, expression, yeah, is also an unconscious attempt to communicate something much more deeper. So therefore, I take it as a as my dream, so that I can work it out, and what it does to me as a way of understanding uh, the materials. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yes, when it comes to a story, it usually provide a very um, rich uh, images, uh -huh. details, uh, which uh, help me to yeah get into the story and feel what the character is feeling. And I think uh, it provide this richness yeah. in it. And that's where that's where I say it. You see, uh, when somebody tells a story, don't try to analyze the story don't try to interpret the story experience mm -hmm. the story has your story I always say therefore mm -hmm. if you were to tell me your story let's say I take that story as my story and say this story is a dream that I had so I then <clears throat> utilize that position to be able to engage with the emotional you see not only the cognitive, as if it was my own. Not only understanding what you're trying to say, but what it does to me and what it resonates in me. So it also allows me to understand myself in relation yeah, to the story that you have given me, you see, that you offered to me, you see. So in that way, I bypass the intellectual cognitive process by first immersing myself as if this story was my own story yeah with all the emotion that it aroused with all the identification with all the you know and that's where the amplification arises you see and then i allow it to take its own you see because we contain within that uh, usually resonance that you make universal resonance so when it does make hit home to me because after all if you were working with a client the client do make impression upon you. The client do become your history, you know? Not just only mm -hmm. a client, but the client become part of your history. So any resonance that's made within the story becoming yours, is also will resonate in the history uh, that you have had with the client too. So it does, you see, gives you a lot much richer way, yeah? to engage mm -hmm. with the stories and then just to see it as an external observer or an external uh, critique or a external analysis of the stories. Yeah. Uh, so if we take the story from the client as if it's the book and we're not only reading the book ourselves and having our experience of the book but we're meeting the author. You, you are the author, you see. Let's just suppose you, you tell us, if I tell a story, this is not Alex Jew's story. You take it and you enter into your own dream space. You see, this is my story. This is the dream that I had. You know, if I tell you, you see, uh, whatever a narrative I got. And then you allow yourself to enter into that story as if it was a dream that you had. 
you see so therefore you engage with it from your perspective yeah emotional and everything that goes uh, as you engage with that uh, dreamscape you see as it unfold and the way to do that is the using the amplification uh, and active imagining letting the elements within the story that is is yours for the moment yeah your dream that, that the dream that you just had had yeah and then with all the things the spatial relationship that comes about yeah and let it take its own life of its own uh, by entering into the conscious dreaming you see of that story and with it it will resonate in you emotionally and intellectually in you an understanding of what I've just offered into the altar of the therapeutic space you see my story in the narrative it can be anything it can be something I dream I had or it can be an experience I've had or you know it can be amusing or whatever you see and if you take that as if it was your dream yeah that you had and then you engage it like that it offer a, a lot more richer source in understanding uh, what has been presented by the client because you are actually engaging with the client actually as if it was you into the story you see and it also helps you to understand uh, by doing that yeah you are not separate from the client yeah you're entering you also can understand elements of you know transference and counter transference that might come up uh, and distinguishing that uh. and this this same goes you see you know uh, for supervision it's just only not only I use it for crime so when somebody tell me you know about the case they're telling me a story yeah so what happens is that then I take the elements you know, of all the way they, they choose to tell the story about themselves and the client you know, uh, the words they choose to use becomes their mind and say I had a dream I dreamt I met this client and you know in the way that the the, the story has been told by the Suwaisi so in doing that then I amplify them so if the client said, uh, if the supervisor say something, choose a keyword. Let's say, for example, uh, I notice that the the sword, yeah, uh, just a sword, in the playroom. You see, then the amplification sword, sword is uh, for me. You see, is to to cut through. Yeah. Uh, so I say, what what does it resonate in me? The idea of sword pointedness uh, to cut through uh, sort of justice uh, you know those are the kind of things that I started to to reminisce within my own dream because it's my dream you see so I can play whatever I don't uh, engage with it like analysis but my dream in terms of understanding myself you see what does it mean for me you see? then the end result is that it gives me ah it hit me certain things because this started to ring through with something that came about in my experiential history with this particular client or supervisor or something that mentioned before and then it comes like a spontaneous bolt yeah bolt uh, interesting lightning bolt yeah sort uh, into my mind and then the connection just is at a level that not just only has a result of that processes but it's also at the emotional level and the cognitive level that gives me the the uh, instantaneous insight into what may be going on you see then that's that's the time when I'm uh, tentatively test it out like you know you would do in terms of case formulation or in terms of hypothesis generation uh, to seek whether uh, can be verified yeah by the other elements that you uh, put together you see from a particular framework that it may come from you see but it comes it comes like that you see so that's where the when when we think about 
uh, therapeutic stories is can be used in so many ways you see, in so many levels uh, in so many forms like so that's one one way I, I tend to use it you see uh, for myself uh, not to see it has only a methodology that you work because there's so many ways of, of working stories from mutual storytelling where we work with a child when a child offers a story, then you you reframe the story, which is why I call it reframe story, by staying the same story, but offering alternatives, you see, embedded in the in the metaphor of the story. The important thing is to work within the metaphor of the story. I don't like working outside the metaphor of the story. Some people do that. Some people say, okay, that story represents what's happening to you in the real world and things like that. No, I just say the unconscious has a has uncanny way of working itself into the consciousness by staying in the metaphor you keep safe yeah that sacred space you see that keeps space uh, safe for the the client to work in the moment you started to link it without the client's uh, uh, choice or without the client's direction or without the client's propulsion or motivation to do that i think you jeopardize the 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 sense the, what they call the sanctity of that space uh, for stories to be to hold yeah what is uh, unholdable outside due to psychic conflict due to you know uh, defense mechanism and things like that uh, so it's very very important not not to dis not to shatter yeah that metaphoric space uh, by attempting to interpret the reality into that space you can work that by using metaphors you see that's where mutual storytelling uh, work you tell a metaphor which is in many ways uh, a manifestation of where you are at in relation to you know in terms of the challenges that you are at so in your limitation in a fixation that got you into where you are yeah a metaphor can be inserted into their metaphor yeah, that open up or loosen up uh, and open up potentiality and possibilities, you see, that never was there. And this is part and parcel of other therapeutic models, like, you know, like the use of reframing frog into princess NLP and things like that, and other more of the new linguistic way of working. You see or strategic way, Ericksonian way, they tend to use a lot of that uh, metaphors, uh, Ericksonian therapy. Uh, I'm, I'm aware that we're coming up to time now, I just wondered whether uh, any resonance, and well, generally, I mean, we kind of cover everything, but we, I'm, I've been, you know, having the privilege of having the, the, the opportunity to really share and to, to hear from you but I just wonder before we conclude, uh, any thoughts or any things that you like to add to it, or anything that I've, I've, I may have missed out that's really important to you to add to it. Like, can I just go with Chris first? Chris, is there anything you wanted to add? Or? So I didn't want to um, particularly add anything, but I, I think I'd just like to comment on uh, you've tweaked my interest in some of the choices of uh, words you've used because you've talked talked about this the sanctity the sacredness of therapy and then people presenting on the altar of therapy <laughs> and so there's a bit of a theme there I think and it's just yeah, yeah so uh, I think um, and I'll certainly be thinking about the way I work with uh, clients dreams and Often I do. I ask them what their favourite fairy tale is, and then get them to talk through that. So it made me it's made me think a little about you know how I actually work with that, and allowing the client to work with it themselves. So I appreciate that. Uh, I thank you too for sharing that, um, Mincy. Mm, not at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can Can I say to my audiences? Uh, Please, please, uh, if you do find a time, you know, to join us, we, you are very, very welcome. I'm really looking for people who just come in and just have a chit-chat. 
among therapists, you know, among counselors, uh, any persuasion, <laughs> just to share and talk, you see. Uh, any any part in the globe, if you find the time, uh, please come and join us. Uh, really, really uh, open up with warm and, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't offer you coffee over the, <laughs> over the, the internet. If yeah. I could, I would, but uh, 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 do have one of me, yeah. Uh, so... Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, thanks okay. again to our, right. our panel, uh, uh, Chris and Mincy. I really appreciate your company. Okay. Yeah, thank you very much. And okay, let thanks. me say goodbye to my audience and I uh, hope you listen to us. Um, I think the next one will should come from Malaysia, the next broadcast. Uh, so look into the schedule in the creativefrequency.blogspot.com. Uh, there might need to be a tweak in the timing and the days. Uh, I'll be broadcasting from Malaysia the next time. Okay. Thank you and have a good morning. Have a good weekend if you are at night and have a good night too. Okay, Bye. Thanks, Alex. Thanks Bye -bye. Bye. You are listening to Creative Frequency, the voices of creative arts therapists around the globe.